It's Tuesday, the 30th of January. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan. Today we're joined by a legend, Jim Chanos. This is Market Call, the last Tuesday in the month. Thanks for joining us. Much nicer day today. You can see behind me that there are people actually in the pool. I heard there were some things going on yesterday, Dan Nathan, that I was not made aware of. I wish I was. But today's Market Call, we got Jim, and I'm thrilled. By the way, today on Fast Money, we got a big short panel. Yeah. Think about that. Those four cats from the big short just here on stage at iConnections, they'll be joining us on CNBC's Fast Money. Uh, we have Mr. McKnight coming Drew from McKnight. Fortress. That's a huge yeah, get. Yeah, we do. Blythe Masters, I think, is coming on the show. Big show. So it's going to be a big fast So here's well. the thing, a little preview here. So um, that Melissa Lee, host of CNBC's Fast Money, she just interviewed Steve Eisman, Danny Moses, uh, Porter Collins, and Vincent Daniel, and that was straight fire. Isn't that what the kids say, guys? I don't know what the no, kids say, say, but that. the room was filled and people were excited. Right. And they're like big short groupies out there. There are. Like OMG. This Kendall cat over here is She's, a big fan. All right, let, let, let's, let's focus on, because we have a legend right here right yeah. now with us. And I know he doesn't love that, but this is Jim Chanos. He is the, the founder of Chanos & Co. We've known Jim for an awful long time. I think a lot of investors out there um, know him prominently for some pretty big, short situations of your own, Jim. Um, welcome, bud. Hey, good to be here. I was but, in the neighborhood, thought I'd stop Well, by. you're a gentleman, Jim. And, you know, we're gonna, <laughs> let's just go through the rundown real quick because there are some parallels here to the dot-com bubble parallels. Yeah. What's next for Tesla? It's obviously had a huge downdraft, traded down to 179. Technical support held, bounce. We'll see. What do you like in this market? We're going to talk about that. And obviously, some big tech earnings starting tonight, firmly in the face of Microsoft, which finds itself with the $3 trillion market cap. But before we get into that, so much of the market, at least the textbooks that I read, the market should be built on earnings, earnings growth, revenue, and revenue growth. That should be the four pillars of the market, which I totally get. And you, know, you were saying before the show started that you were hearing anecdotally or seeing that some of the estimates are coming down in a major way. So let's go from the top down and look at earnings and sort of what you think is going on in the market. Yeah, well, it's 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 a quaint notion that you think that earnings and rates are- It is, it is old-fashioned. Yes, thank you I, for that. <laughs> oh, I don't look. Uh, macro is not my, my forte, as you know, but it's hard not to notice that, that earnings estimates are coming down, not going up. Um, I have no idea where interest rates are going, but but point is, is that- as always, as analysts generally are too optimistic. Now, there was a couple-year period where they were not optimistic enough, right? mm -hmm. where earnings accelerated. But now we're back to the, you know, estimates come down as the year goes on. And and we're seeing that with 2023 numbers. The fourth quarter seems to be coming in pretty weak uh, for earnings, strong GDP. Um, but I... I don't know. Are we going to see two hundred forty dollars in in twenty twenty four earnings for the S and P? Seems increasingly unlikely. Yeah. So it's interesting. You know, the, the idea that the stock market has been keying off what forward estimates are, and what I think we've seen over the last few years, and definitely since COVID, in a way, is that strategists have been a little apprehensive to take big whacks at their yeah. uh, forward numbers, right? So it's kind of death by a thousand cuts. And to your point, we covered this yesterday a little bit. You know, it was a note out of facts that our main man, John Butters, the Butter. earnings inside analyst. Stop for a second. What's that? It's not. It's just butters. It's just it's like butters. share. I, know, I just want to like make sure. Pele, yeah, it's like it, it, it's, it's like Kano's. It's it's the same thing. All right, but here's the deal. And we read this quote, Jim. This is pretty fascinating. The top six stocks in the S and P 500 are expected in Q4, and a bunch of them are going to report this week. They start tonight. Mm -hmm. Fifty 
4% year-over-year earnings growth. The bottom 496, okay? The bottom 496 for Q4 expected to be down 10%. That doesn't feel like a healthy earnings environment, right? And when we're looking at the market today, guy, I see two disasters right now. I see UPS trading down on their earnings and guidance. I see Schlumberger comes out. SLB. SLB, down a whole heck of a lot. And these are, I think, kind of economically sensitive, not part of these big secular shift ideas and that sort of thing. So, Jim, how often do you look at single names and reactions to an earnings event like that and given the guidance that they just give and try to extrapolate a little bit broader? Because you started out by saying you think estimates for 2024, S&P earnings are high. Is this earnings season so far, and again, we haven't had the big ones, is it giving you more confidence in that view? Well, I mean, my past life as of a few months ago, I mean, as you know, we're generally long the indices yep. and short idiosyncratic risk. So I, I still think that's that's a wise strategy. And, and generally, look, the indices are, are, are self-reinforcing in both good and bad ways, right? They, they, they keep rewarding success and weed out failure. Um, that's in many ways why they're so hard to beat. But... It's hard not to notice that we're increasingly getting a really bifurcated market where people believe a handful of stocks can do no wrong and no price is too high to pay and the rest of everything else struggles. Well, JP Morgan, Paul, we'll put this slide up. They're talking about, again, dot-com style concentration in the market. We'll put the slide up and you can read it. And then you look at the top five weight in terms of what we're seeing now and the comparisons in terms of what it's doing to the market or eerily reminiscent to what happened some 25 or so years ago. Nobody wants to acknowledge that, well, it's but even, it's happening. It's even worse than that. I think, I mean, we're, a lot of us are focused on the, the, the top six or seven, take your pick stocks, but there's also a, a pretty healthy subset of momentum, growth, consumer names, whether it's in the restaurant space, whatever, that trade at kind of absolute insane multiples mm-hmm. Because they haven't disappointed, you know, chicken wings at 120 times earnings, and 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 you know the all kinds. Well, of no, I'm going to stop for a second because your point is spot on. Like a CMG, for example, yeah. Every quarter they surprise to the upside, yeah. and they get rewarded in terms of that their valuation, and the right. subsequent stock price. That stock seemingly makes an all time high right. every single day. Right. But what I think the point you're making, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's when they disappoint. That's when everybody's sort of head pops up and said, what happened here? And that's when you start seeing, the, I guess, the normal reaction in terms of the stock market. So until you get these disappointments, it's just going to be on autopilot to a certain point. Yeah, and and everyone knows that. But the problem, of course, is this math, right? And that if if a CMGI or or what have you is going to grow 20 points greater than nominal GDP for the foreseeable future, in 30 years, we're all going to be serving burritos to each other. <laughs> all right. So, so I mean, that's not going to happen. Obviously, well, the growth rate is going to slow down. By, by the way, I don't know if you know what you just did there. You just said CMGI, which brings us back to 3,000. <laughs> Sorry. So that is a pretty fascinating uh, thing. And, and I want to tell you something. I was on the beach in, um, this was uh, late 20, uh, 2002, okay? And I bumped into a guy that I used to work with without, without naming names um, at a hedge fund, the first job that I had in the business back in 1997. And this guy, and I'll say offline who he was, was a known tech short sell. When I tell you that he nailed the top of many of these internet names, and I saw him on the beach, 
And it was like December 28th or something like that, 2002. And he's wearing a CMGI hat. And I remember that. I said, what's up with that? He goes, I rode the whole thing down to zero. Was, like he never there was even a CMGI covered. field, wasn't there? Yeah, I guess there was. There. All right. But I want to, so going back to the dot-com era guy, you just mentioned this JP Morgan note. Let's throw it back up there. The share of the top 10 stocks, in the MSCI USA index, including all of those so-called mag seven has risen to about 30% by the end of December. That's just moderately below the historical peak share of 33% in June of 2000. The key takeaway, extremely concentrated markets present a clear and present risk to equity markets in 2024. And I just want to make this point, because we just listened to Melissa Lee interview Steve Eisman, Danny Moses, Vincent Daniel, uh, Porter Collins, okay, our big short friends. And it was interesting because Steve pushed back on this whole notion. For 40 years, people have been whining about the debt, yeah. right? And it's not... All right. So we've been whining about the concentration. Okay. But here's what I want to ask Jim about. And I know you're not a rate savant or guru or this and that, whatever. But the longer this goes on, this concentration, or the more pronounced it gets. And if rates don't go the way that a lot of folks hope they do this year, does that make the problem that much more acute? I I, I think all things be equal, yeah. But I would I would actually deflect the question and say one of the things that by 1999 could have told you you were getting in the later innings of the of the the tech bubble in in the late 90s was when you began to see a big drop off in the quality of the earnings of the big tech guys like Lucent and Cisco whatever and and a number of these companies got into the business of not only doing barter transactions but also having venture arms invest in companies mm -hmm. who then bought their product right you're and, seeing you're seeing that well, around the well, edges now I was going to say you you're beginning to see, and people are beginning to report on, which I think is a good thing, the fact that some of these companies now are, are have reasonably large venture operations under the corporate umbrella and are investing in companies that are turning around and buying their products. I would also point out to a couple of small companies like Microsoft and Google, who are increasingly capital intensive because of their data centers, who are cutting their depreciable lives, which is a, you know, a, a one-time thing that will help earnings for a while. But the longer this goes, if we start to see more and more big cap tech companies begin to use more and more fun and games to make their earnings estimates, you know, then the parallel with 99,000 is it's going to be hard to miss. I don't want to play stock market with you, and I don't, I'm not necessarily looking for your Apple call, but my first question is, how important is a name like Apple to the broader market? I ask that because last I looked, Apple, I think, was in 314 ETFs, of which Apple was in the top 15 holdings. So it's become its own asset class. And in a world of passive investing, where money just flows in each and every day, Apple wins to that more than any other company out there. But we're seeing anecdotal news. We saw some news today about shipment, right? Shipment yeah. declines, 15% or so. Right. The stock is actually underperforming the broader market today. Apple actually does go down. But my question is, is it a very important market barometer? Do you watch it closely? Mm, I no, I think I think stock you're probably gonna hit me over the head with is much more important, Tesla. All right, so stop for a second. I fair enough. Tesla is now more than 50% below the all-time high it made, I think, in 2021 or so. Yeah. I thought stock was north of 400. Yep. It obviously traded down to 180 recently. It's bouncing today. That's on a broader market that's done extraordinarily well. So where I would agree with you, yes. But the market doesn't seem to say the same thing. Well, the market got really insane. Now it's only slightly insane. But but the reason I think Tesla is important for getting its market cap and the fact it's down 50% is that to me, it is like Cisco was 
1999-2000. It's the hopes and dreams tech, large cap tech stock where people can put any business model they want to on the back end of it and say, I can overpay for this company uh-huh. because they're going to implant chips in my brain. They're going to have a robot serve me breakfast every morning. They're going to get me to Mars and God knows what else. I keep saying he's going to announce asteroid mining soon. I, there's and, a solve for that, by the way. Uh, oh, that's something else. I apologize. But, my age. But but if you look at if you look at and I think you know this, if you look at options trading, Tesla's number one almost every, every day, day. Every day, head of the S and P, head of Apple, and so this is the speculative vehicle of choice. The other thing I love, the paradox of Tesla, is that for everyone that says, well, I'm owning it for the 2030 robotic earnings, whatever, it jars with the fact that Tesla turns over its public float every five weeks. So when people start talking about being a long-term investor, they're trading it like maniacs. Listen, I I think we can kind of put the Tesla story to bed for for now. And and I'll tell you, well, I know, but I know that (laughs) it it, it becomes hard. But like Guy made this point on Fast Money last night. You know, you had this move. The stock was down 20% into that earnings print. The next day it was down 12% because it was just a disaster of a quarter. They didn't give guidance. The call was, you know, was a mess, right? But it's going to fill in that gap. And then as Danny said this morning on the panel, but there's going to be a good opportunity to reshort it. If you can be tactical. The reason why I say we can put it to bed is all of the pillars of the bear case over the last five years that you have made, okay, they're coming true. The competition, um, just, you know, just the sheer economics. Did you see the BYD overtook them? I know you saw that in units, but did you see the guidance that they just gave? They are willing to fight a, a, a war, a, a price war that Tesla shareholders, I just don't think at a half a trillion dollar market cap are going to be willing to stick around for because ultimately it's just turning into that auto story. And if you want to keep pricing it on 2030 robots and all this other crap, have fun. But like we've been saying this for a long time, this is going to be the last battle fought in this market. All right, so here you go. So again, we play this game on Fast Money. If I had told you, and I'll play it with you now, if I had told you that Tesla would be cut in half over the next couple of years, way back when, and say, where's the broader market? If Tesla is an indicator of such, I would say, well, the S&P has got to be at least 4,000, if not lower. Obviously, we're at all-time highs. So I understand that. So my question to you is, is there a catalyst that you see that could potentially derail this market? Like, what are you looking at that a lot of people don't talk about? Well, first of all, let me, again, flip flip just your premise a little bit on its head, because if Tesla's important, particularly to retail investors, whatever, the typical retail stock has not done as well as Fair. the S&P yeah. since the peak, right? Fair. So, so it, it is, I think, a bit of a bellwether. Having said that, I don't. I mean, look, what what derails things are things that are unexpected, and and that's it was inflation finally appearing in 2021, 2022 that 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 gave people pause. It's come down now. There, a year ago, a year and a half ago. People probably would have said, well, the Fed wouldn't be embarked on an easing program right away. Now they're counting on that. So it's, it's going to be things that are unexpected. And, and that's that's why this is such a tough game. Right. And and I don't know that that you can predict that stuff. And I argue that you can't. The difference is, is if you get it wrong, what's your risk reward? Right. Yeah. right? And if prices are where they are right now, that if something unexpected happens, that's the risk. Yeah, I, I would make the case, Jim, that if you go back in 2021, you know, the S&P topped out in the first week of January 2022. But large pockets of risk 
in the stock market, in the crypto market, SPACs. I mean, the list went on and on. We're careening lower already. Yeah. Okay. Fourth, already, quarter, fourth and, quarter of 2020. And I think you can make the case that what's gone on right now in Tesla over the last, let's call it, few months is not too dissimilar in a way. And to your point, Guy, about this concentration in those other names, so we lost Tesla out of the MAG-7. Let's see what happens. I just want to make one point about this Apple. And again, I know that, you know, who cares? Um, the stock on a relative basis, and Carter Braxton Worth has made this case on Fast Money and on Market Call again and again. This is the largest market cap company in the U.S. Relative to the S&P, trades horrible. So relative strength is really important. So when you think of the exuberance that has existed around Tesla and the relative strength is a disaster, it went into the S&P three years ago, a little plus, at $232. It is trading below $200 right now. So it's in all of those index funds. It's trading horribly now. And if we start to see other pieces of this mega cap tech upper echelon start coming undone, listen, NVIDIA just gained 25% in a straight line in a freaking month, okay? It's got a $1.5 trillion market cap. You're yelling. Why so are you, you yelling at the us? Case, Jim and I are your you allies You can make the here. case. <laughs> I'm doing a little Stephen A thing right here. You can make the case that the stock is cheap still, given the demand, and blah, 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 blah. But it just pulled forward so much enthusiasm. So if they just show a mild deceleration when they report in a month, that stock's going lower. Microsoft tonight. Let's talk about Microsoft. Let's talk about AMD. That's literally doubled in the last. Well, four let's months. talk about and Microsoft. Okay, so oh, let's, let's break it. it. Microsoft first. Just again, crossed three trillion, north of four hundred dollars. Stock has had an epic run over the last couple of months. On the back of the things that you've talked about, I've said this. I believe it to be the case. It's one of the five, if not three, most important companies in the world for a myriad of different reasons. However, in terms of valuation, it's been rewarded and then some. It's probably trading. I want to say 31 times-ish next year's numbers, which is expensive mm -hmm. historically, obviously expensive to the market, and it doesn't sort of jive with the earnings growth and the revenue growth that they have. So, I'm again, I'm not asking you to get drilled down at Microsoft, but that to me is almost one of the poster childs of what's going on here. Yeah, well, that's because the AI component of Microsoft is getting a 100 multiple. Well, well right? that. But that, it, okay, so stop for a second. So we last night we had Brad on the show on Fast Money, and he talked about NVIDIA being actually relatively cheap compared to the growth rate and the things that they were seeing. You saw super super microcomputer. They guided a week ago on the 22nd. They reported last night, blew things away. That stock was parabolic this morning. It's seemingly coming back to earth. But at what point is things not only priced in, but double, triple priced in? Apparently not yet. <laughs> Fair. We short data centers. They're trading at 100 times earnings. Fair. And AI puts some of them out of business. So, I mean, it's still, it's not today. Yeah. So, so interestingly, we also have a Fed meeting tomorrow. Okay. So this is kind of important. And I think expectations for what the Fed might say, like, like, I guess, you know, if you're wanting them to be dovish, if you want them to signal at their next meeting in March, right, that they are going to cut interest rates and what the Fed funds is pricing, you know what I mean, maybe gets accelerated because inflation's coming down and the like, then that should buoy equity valuations. But if they do not, okay, and nothing's being priced for that right now, okay, and then this week we have, let's say Microsoft doesn't give the guidance just the way that they did in July, right? Let's say AMD pulled forward a lot of enthusiasm in the stock price relative to what they are able to guide for this quarter and maybe the balance of the year. And let's say Google, believe it or not, people, this has been the redheaded stepchild of the AI stock. Can't anymore. say that anymore? No. 
There are a lot of things you can't say that. I, I love the redheads. I mean, a lot of people at the pool. I, love, I guarantee you. I love the redheads. But, 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 but again, I mean, so there's a lot of things that can happen that might not be supportive of 19 and a half times S&P 500 earnings, especially if interest rates are not expected to go down as much as people were pricing, let's say, a month ago. Does that make sense, Jim? Yeah, but I mean, first of all, there's eight people in that pool have a better uh, insight into the Fed than I do. So what? number one, I, I, doubtful. I, you know, I, don't, I have no idea where rates are going. But, but let, let me just point out to you, as we talk about Microsoft and AMD and, and video, there's a whole bunch of companies in my world that just lose lots of money, right? That report hundreds of millions of yeah. losses per quarter that are up 4X from October. I mean, and, and, uh, and, and really, I mean, back to many what, cases, what were they 2020. Pricing? A no landing, soft landing, uh, rates going lower though. No Isn't speculation, no speculation, speculation. That's yeah. what they're pricing. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and or, you know, short covering, whatever have you. And by the way, the short interest doesn't drop on these names. So it's not short covering. But, but, you know, problematic business models that have lost money for the last five years and show no signs of making any money. And, and yet those stocks went up as much as NVIDIA and Microsoft and AMD. And they've come in some more than the, the, the big six, but are still up a ton from just four months ago. And, and, and so, you know, this is, a, this is a, a market with a lot of animal spirits in mm -hmm. it. If, you, if I had, we play another game, as I mentioned earlier, if I had told you, I'll play it again. So over the weekend, we heard from a couple of United States senators, Lindsey Graham, um, John Cornyn. John Cornyn both said effectively, I'm paraphrasing, bomb Tehran, something to that effect, right? We've those that was out there. I am shocked that the reaction of the market was as muted as it was. I mean, so my question is concerning geopolitical risk, which is seemingly as bad as it's been, I want to say in the last 30 or so years, yet no impact or whatsoever on the yeah. broader market. I mean, Middle East Middle East strife hasn't made an impact on markets since 73, 74. So, I mean, for people that are looking at Middle East issues, most investors just go, it's a mess. We're going to be there, kind of. There's going to be terrorism. It doesn't factor in. I, I do think that something happening in the Pacific. Um, you Let's know, talk it, about it, that. It, it, it would be a much bigger thing. Uh, what is that thing that happens in the Pacific? I mean, again, China, it, our relationship with China is probably the worst it's been in 50 years. You can debate it. I happen to believe that's the case. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the saber rattling in terms of Taiwan, when President Xi was in San Francisco, in the beginning of December, it came out three weeks later that he said, and again, I'm paraphrasing, we will take Taiwan by whatever means necessary. That came out in the press, I think, in mid-December. So that's out there as well. I mean, nobody seems to be focused on it. Maybe, again, they think it's just rhetoric. What are your thoughts on that? Look, I think that, that the, the real risk, and we've been saying this for a while, is that he gets more aggressive in foreign adventures to, to distract people from what's going on domestically in the economy. And the fact of the matter is they cannot get the domestic economy going um, because of all the things that we've discussed down through the last 15 years so that the model is, is a bad model and it's coming to the end of its useful life. And they don't want to address the realities of changing their economic model, which is based on investment in property. And so I don't know what he does, but, but boy, the rhetoric is not good. And he has made threats. Um, and, and that would be, you know, the curtain dropping there would be something I think. That okay. Worry so about. this is, I brought this up and actually the people agree, disagree. I'm curious as to your thoughts. A lot of people think that because of the weakness in China, it makes them less inclined to do something with Taiwan. 
my pushback would be it makes them more inclined, mm-hmm. I think, for the reasons you just cited, sort of taking your eye off the ball as to what the problems yeah. are and then creating sort of a bit of a divergence of that, for uh, better word. Until Xi Jinping, the deal with the citizenry was don't get involved in politics. The, the Communist Party knows best, but we will give you prosperity. In the last five to arguably 10 years, the prosperity engine has slowed down and sputtered, and now it's becoming support us nationally as in nationalism yeah. and, and, and patriotism and, and the greater China. And that's a change. It's a big mm-hmm. change. And, and so I think that, that the economy struggling makes the risks worse or I higher, agree. So, so not Jim, less. You, you've been making a fairly bearish case about China. <laughs> yeah, you, for, might, you for, might say so. For a decade. But the stock, I mean, look, I'm looking at the Shanghai Composite. I mean, it's really trading where it was a decade ago. I, I mean, when you think about that, yeah. right? And then if you think about U.S. companies and all the excitement over this last decade about access to a Chinese consumer that is growing at a yeah. scale that we've never seen. But then if you look at really how the Chinese consumer has been exposed to risk assets, it's been in the very thing that you've been warning about for a decade. And that is commercial real estate, right? And residential, have, and residential, and real, residential estate. real estate. So they've had much more exposure to real estate, both commercial and residential, than they have to the stock market. But yet much, we sit much, here. Much greater. Okay. So when you see a headline like we saw last week that the Chinese are going to command the SOEs to repatriate maybe $300 billion and put it into the stock market, the stock market like rallied and then it, it sold back off. Wouldn't they have been much better use of putting that to kind of stem? We saw the China Evergrande story and stuff like that. I mean, do they? is this finally coming undone right now? I don't know that it's coming undone. I think you're just seeing the flaws in the, the, the model, which is the Chinese stock market. When we, when we did our bear call on China, the FXI was $41. Yeah. I think it's 22 bucks. Right 22 now. bucks. So uh-huh. it's almost been cut in half since 2009. Um, but if you actually look at the market cap of the Chinese stock market, it's up. Now, okay, so what's the paradox? The paradox is they're diluting the hell out of you, right? They're, 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 there's so much agency risk in China, it's not funny. And 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 who's the patsy? Western investors are the patsy. Yeah. They've provided capital over and over again through the VIE structure, which we've talked about till we're blue in the face, which is a complete fraud. And 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 because China sold them on this this growth and you want to be part of our growth and whatever. And meanwhile, you've done nothing but basically provide capital for them to do other things. Having said all that, the, the, the problem, the property market dwarfs everything. Yeah. After Treasury, U.S. Treasuries, it's the most important asset class in the world, Chinese property. It doesn't get the attention it should. And, and, and that's where China has its savings. That's where Chinese populace is counting on the the price of their flat to provide for their retirement mm-hmm. and their kids. And if that doesn't happen, and if that doesn't pan out, then you're going to have political issues. Okay, so I think that will be, we'll end how we began in terms of our broader market. There will people that will say, for all the reasons you decided, obviously China being as important of an economy it is, that's the reason, the weakness you decided is the reason why you should pay a premium multiple for the, for the S&P 500. And as you talked about earlier, you know, if we're looking at $225 of earnings-ish, you know, you're talking about a market right now that's trading about 21 and a half, 22 times, which, again, historically is expensive. But does that, mark, does that argument make sense that the weakness elsewhere in all these different pockets is the reason why you should pay up to be in the United States? 
I don't know that that follows necessarily. I mean, I know that argument can be made, but I, just because, you know, uh, I don't want to pay, you know, for Chinese stocks doesn't mean I should be paying up for something else, uh, ipso facto. So I don't know. I, I, Do you think cash pays OK right now? That what is cash? Look, I mean, uh, people people should always have some cash. I think the cheapest thing out there right now is insurance. I yeah. mean, it, it, you know, the view is, is that I insure things that are valuable in my life. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and yeah, your, your residence, your life, your, your possessions, your car, you do, too. You do, too. And right now, insurance for financial assets in the U.S. Yeah. is about as cheap as it's been Ever. Oh, we know. We talk about it well, here every talk, day. Let's talk about the reasons and, why. Because if the market seemingly goes up every day, I think market participants, which used to buy that insurance mm -hmm. and was a drag on their returns, mm -hmm. at some point they said, you know what, we don't need to do this anymore. No, and worse, then, and then somebody that. woke up and said, you not only would have to do it anymore, we, we, we can, can sell, sell these we things and get it. paid. <laughs> we can actually enhance our returns. We can sell the insurance. insurance. We can sell the so insurance. that's where we are. Speak yep. to that. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And, and now people are not only, you know, have, have eschewed buying it to protect portfolios, but are actually there are strategies that are huge that are selling insurance uh -huh. to people like me or elsewhere that basically say, OK, I'm willing to take that that unlimited risk to the downside because uh, I, I can make some extra nickels. And, and that's what's terrifying, yeah. because that's when the the. the uh -huh. The black swan of the true black swan event, whatever bankrupts, just you know, people that never knew they were taking those risks, and I think that that we saw that a little bit in 08, and, and well, but a lot of it, and and uh, with with people selling CDSs yep. and 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 in a in an asset class that got vaporized for nine months and put a lot of people out of business, and and it can happen, and it has happened, and so it scares me to see all these strategies. That are, you know, there's a Tesla ETF that sells mm -hmm. sells puts to make income. No, they've created and, and, all kinds of and, weapons of mass destruction. Warren Buffett talks about. And meanwhile, the actual insurer. I mean, we price put baskets for our clients. We just priced one uh, this past week, and it's as cheap as it's been in in since the fourth quarter of 2021. Yeah. Well, I'll just say this, and we can end on this. Um, you know. A lot of the behavior in the stock market and some related risk asset classes last quarter, Q4 of 2023, reminded me an awful lot of Q4 of 2021. Yeah. And I got to tell you, January, while we're up a whole heck of a lot, especially off those lows, okay, everybody's in the pool now. And, there, and, and some of the issues on the concentration front and the expectations about rates and the expectations about growth and all that sort of stuff, I think it's setting up very similarly to early 2022. So I, I think you, you better strap, strap in here, people, because I, I really do think we are on the cusp of a pretty sharp decline in the Q1 of this year. Sitting on a desk with Jim Chanos is an absolute yeah. honor. We've been able to do it a number of times. So, Jim, thank you so much for your time. You're extraordinarily generous. You could be doing a lot of other things. But you spent the last half hour with us. So thank you for My very, pleasure. Very much. Anytime, guys. Appreciate Any it, brother. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. joining Market Call. We'll be back tomorrow, which is Wednesday. Yeah. I think I'll be doing it from my basement, which is my typical want to do because we're leaving this conference. But again, Fast Money tonight is going to be, what do the kids call it? 
Straight fire. Hey, thanks to iConnections. Straight they, fire. They have been an amazing, amazing host to us the last couple of days. Um, we've had a lot of great guests here. It's been just a truly great event. So Day two of this conference. It's a remarkable what's going on. I mean, the, we talked to people that work at the Fountain Blue Hotel. Yeah. They've never seen the lobby. I mean, it's exciting. Yeah. 4,300 people. Yeah. Congratulations to Ron Biscardi and his team. And by the way, I think Caitlin is interviewing Eli Manning in one of the main halls right now. Let's go. So we should go and check Two that out. Two-time Super Bowl MVP of your New York football New York Giants. football Giants. Thanks, go. Jim. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. See you tomorrow.